Welcome back to Recovering from Religion, RFRX, another fine Monday evening. Helen, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Cara? Did you have a good 4th of July? <laughs> I did. It was great. Now, I, I was actually isolating due to covid but i had a really nice time watching fireworks from my home and and eating uh barbecued um what are those things brats that someone brought over for me <laughs> all right that's nice <laughs> great how about you um i went to a party on sunday night um my friend had and then monday i got to listen to my neighbors um put um, shoot off fireworks and freak out my cats. So that was my money. <laughs> okay, so cats are kind of like dogs in that they don't. Yeah, my cats are like not that. feeling it at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. My dog didn't care for it either, but everything makes him nervous. Like a faucet running scares him. So you know. <laughs> he's very nervous. <laughs> but that's all right. We love them anyway, and they're right. great emotional supporters. But there's a lot of like it's okay, like it's all right, and a lot of a lot of comforting cuddles and treats. So <laughs> it worked out okay. So I say that we should. I think we should start. I think we should too. I'm, go I'm think, glad we're in agreement. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so let me introduce our fabulous guest. In that case, tonight we have Dr. Betty Iglesias Snyder, who is a trainer, coach, mediator, DEI consultant, and facilitator. She's got a really long resume. She teaches courses in communication, mediation, psychology of conflict, culture and gender, peace building, neuroscience. She served as director and faculty member of dispute resolution programs at multiple universities, not just one. She's provided a wide range of alternative dispute resolution and conflict management services with individuals, organizations, and communities. And she's also a published author, has been featured in two documentaries. So I am super excited to have you on. Betty, Dr. Snyder, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with such an amazing organization. Awesome people. Thank you so Thank much. You. We're so lucky to have you. I have been so excited about this. So our topic tonight is navigating difficult conversations, and uh, you're something of an expert in that. Can you tell us a little bit about your work and how you got involved in that? Yeah, I love my work. Um, I get to do a little bit of everything. All things conflict is what I say. Uh, so I get to work with individuals, groups, and communities, um, both in the uh, with the lens of preventing conflict, but also just diving right in when things are already messy. Um, and I love to help people kind of navigate and, uh, and get to a better place in conflict. So um, I have uh, been really lucky to get to work all over the world um, and getting to work with, with um, all different kinds of folks. So I love it. I don't like my own conflict, just to put that out there. I like other people's <laughs> conflict. <laughs> Is that like trying to cut your own hair? Like yeah, like, yeah, which I did not do well during the pandemic, um, by the way. That's a different podcast about how I accidentally gave myself a mullet. Yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of bad hair during the pandemic. So, you know, you were oh, it was part the of, a, worst. Of, of a pool of people that were just like, you know what, I can do my own hair. And then you do it and you're just like, oh. Oh, it, no. it was bad, bad choices. Right? Yeah, I'm seeing a comment. They're back in style now, but two years ago, it was yeah, it was bad. It was bad. You just you, you were ahead of it. You knew it was it was coming back. You were you psychic. Brought it. <laughs> you were psychic. We have a lot of psychics on here. It was bad. That's great. Yeah, I I can relate to that. 
Well, okay. So before you were cutting hair, how did you get involved in, in dispute resolution? I actually uh, backed into this. Um, I wasn't really intending on it. So um, I'm a clinical psychologist by training. Um, I don't I don't work individually with um, with clients in that way anymore. What I started noticing, I was doing a lot of um, individual or couples therapy, family therapy, um, and a little bit of, of organizational psych where I'm going and work with organizations. And I just really found a passion for helping people to really um, just kind of unpack their conflict, unpack what's going on and help them to learn better ways and better methods of dealing with conflict. Um, because so much of what I was noticing stemmed from just complete miscommunication or stemmed from fear. Um, and when people were able to learn skills or when people were able to really just talk about what they needed, um, people were able to transform conversations and, and lead to such better outcomes. And so I realized that that was needed, not just in the therapy office, which is a very important place to be, but that we need it like everywhere, <laughs> like everywhere in this world, right? Like we needed goodness um, everywhere. And so I thought that um, I wanted to make a bigger impact by working with communities and organizations and empowering people with skills in different ways um, and, and teaching as well. So that's yeah. I kind of backed into it. That's that's a lot of important stuff though there. I mean, those are, I, I feel like, so I, I took some courses um, in, in this as well, as you are well aware. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I always felt like, you know, wow, how come we don't learn this in school? Like, why is this not part of the curriculum? And, you know, I don't know, middle school, elementary school. <laughs> You know, what's so sad is, um, I mean, if you think about like, where did most of us learn how to engage in conflict? And I mean, I would venture to say that most of us did not have the most phenomenal examples of growing up in conflict in our family of origin. Um, and so then where do we go to learn examples in that school or, or religious institutions where, again, did not learn the best of all examples? Um, high schools teach debate. I don't know, you know, they don't teach peace building, right? And I, I think that it, it, we don't know how, we don't know what to do. We're a very, um, you know, can be a very divisive society and we learn how to negotiate. We learn how to stand up for ourselves. We learn how to fight. We learn how to fight back, um, but we don't know how to like actually like build peace and work things out. And it's not something we're born with. It's something that you have to learn. Um, and so people often will come to one of my trainings or one of my coaching sessions and just be so ashamed. It's like, well, we didn't, we didn't learn this anywhere. So now you get to, now you get to learn it. So, and even when we learn it, we're still not perfect. I still lose it every once in a while. We all do. <laughs> oh yeah. Like I know my default is conflict avoidant. Like I'm always like, I'm like, I don't like conversation. But, and I had, but when the times I had actually learned how to have like, um, constructive conversations on difficult topics and not lose not saying I don't lose my shit every once in a while because I'm a human being and you're going to lose your shit but getting that bravery to have those difficult conversations even though every single like your panic bottoms are going out I'm like no 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 you know that's that's a really difficult thing to learn to overcome <laughs> yeah and the courage to stay in the conversation can be really hard because we don't like to deal with the ugly emotions that come up in a conversation. And so to sit with that takes a lot of courage and it's yucky. It just feels yucky. So 
Yeah. Yes. And I, I see some of the comments. Somebody says, oh, Glenda takes a, um, a lifetime of practice. And it absolutely, it's a new, a new skill. Um, and with any new skill, you have to try it a hundred times before it actually sticks in your brain. Um, I like to use the metaphor of, you know, a lot of us have probably potty trained a puppy or a child. <laughs> um, and what do we do first is you catch the puppy. The puppy has no idea that it's, you know, they weren't born knowing where to go to the bathroom and you have to catch it put it outside and then good doggy or what, you know, whatever you do. And, and it takes so many times of catching the puppy doing what they're doing. And so part of learning these skills is to first become self-aware of what you're doing, catching yourself, not peeing, but, you know, doing, <laughs> doing whatever it is that you're doing um, and then say, well, what else do I need to do? Um, one of my favorite quotes by, um, I believe it's Victor Frankl says, between stimulus and response, there's a pause and it's in that pause that allows us the opportunity or the space to do something different. I didn't quote it exactly, but along those lines. And so learning this, these skills is learning how to find that pause because it often feels like we're going from zero to a hundred and that there is no pause when we're in conflict. So we can learn to be self-aware. That is great advice. So also slow down, stop shouting for just a few minutes and... <laughs> Yeah, but it feels so good. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel good after most of the time. So yeah, that's true. So, you know, thinking about that, uh, I'm guessing that a lot of people um, in our audience tonight can probably remember a time when they have had a difficult conversation with a friend or a loved one that might have centered around something like uh, having a different religious belief or values. Um, and I'm wondering if you could talk about like, what do you think makes those conversations so difficult? And do we need a, a special set of skills to, to be able to talk about those kinds of things? So most of us, um absolutely need a special set of skills um, because they are really difficult to experience. And I bet just even when you said that, you know, conversation centering around values or religious beliefs, like I just felt my anxiety rise. So even like I didn't have a specific conversation in mind, most people find those conversations difficult. And when I ask people, like when I'm doing a workshop or a coaching session, and I say, you know, what, what is it that makes the conversation difficult? Or what are you experiencing as difficult? Let's unpack it a little bit. And I, I'm getting like common themes that people say, um, and yours, everybody's is different in terms of what their trigger is. But a lot of people will say the emotion, either mine or yours, right? I can't handle or tolerate what emotions are coming up for me or I can't tolerate the emotions coming up from other people. Um, that's a huge one. And others, um, other people will say, well, I'm worried that it's gonna jeopardize my relationship with this person. This person is important to me in my life. This is my dad, this is my mom, this is my partner, you know, and I don't want to have this conversation because what if I lose the person um, or what if I hurt their feelings? Um, the other one that is, a, a trigger for most people is um, when there's values at stake um, because values are something that we don't, you're not going to go into negotiation and walk out with having changed your value, right? So if you go in a conversation perceiving that the other person's trying to change that value and vice versa, you're going to hold in, you're going to hold your stake in the ground deeper because you're not letting that value go. So if that's someone's perception, they're not going to have a part of that. Um, the other one, which I think is one of the most overlooked ones, is that our basic human needs are violated. 
during, um, during a difficult conversation or they can be violated. And basic human needs can be, um, you know, we often think of, you know, you know, food, water, safety, um, but those things our brain perceives psychological safety as important as physical safety. And so if I'm threatened psychologically or I don't feel psychologically safe, my brain is actually processing that as the same as a physical threat. Mm -hmm. And so psychological safety is an absolute human need. Um, dignity is a human need, right? And we're in conflict. I can tell you in my ugliest moments where I have been very unkind in a conflict, I have violated other people's dignity. Um, there's a book that um, will be shared with you in a, uh, as a reference. It's by Donna Hicks um, and it's about dignity and basically she talks about how the center of all conflicts has to do with um, violating people's dignity or your dignity being violated and we don't react well to that right <clears throat> um, I'm seeing a question about um, what if someone's value is that a certain group of human beings is inferior um, that's a really great question I actually know a person who negotiates he is a mediator has negotiated like the genocide, right? And in a genocide, it's not only are you inferior, but you're not a human. And then we have to kill and exterminate you, right? You can't negotiate that. Um, but what he does, so I asked him like, what do you do in that situation? And he says, you have to find a higher order of what is one thing that they both believe in and what is one thing they both wanna fight for. And what he found is, Everyone here is losing um, people they love to this genocide, everyone here. So can we agree that we want to stop losing people we, we love? Yes, so what do we need to do, right? So human rights, and I'm a big human rights advocate, um, is not something that I'm willing to negotiate, right? I'm not willing to negotiate that. But am I willing to negotiate a conversation around, um, uh, you know, safety, right? Can, can we agree that we, we all need to be or feel safe, whether or not you think that that's important to them or not? Um, and so you don't negotiate that value or your value, but you can find a higher value a lot of the times, not all, not all of the time, but that's, that's a really, really great question. Very important question. One that I struggle with. Uh, so the values is, is really important um, to people. Um, and then the other one um, that I referenced earlier is fear. Uh, a lot of times people um, will um, not engage in a conversation because they're afraid. And what I tell people in those situations is um, ask yourself, what's the worst thing that can happen? And then can I cope with that thing, right? Because I have a lot of people will take my training and they're like, I'm going to go quit my job. I'm going to go tell my boss how I feel. I'm like, wait, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Do you need health insurance? Do you need your paycheck? Do you need, you know, what's the likelihood that that's actually that you're going to get fired? Because if that is a likelihood, then are you okay with that? And some people are like, I don't care. I am leaving. I'm setting this boundary. And I can afford it and I don't need this or whatever, that's fine, right? Or let's create a plan to get you, you know, to a safe plan. So fear, fear is the other thing that makes a conversation difficult. So, so yes, I think we definitely need skills to navigate those things. Yes. 
Well, I am so glad you're here to share those with us because yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've probably experienced all of those things just to say. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, I think I answered A and B on the poll uh, earlier. <laughs> what do you do? Avoid it like the plague and then explode. <laughs> I I get um, when I'm when I when I feel threatened, I turn into like a bitchy, sarcastic person. That's the way my anger comes out. And like when I'm feeling that burning and then when I get really angry, I angry cry. Like I'm yelling at someone why I'm crying because <laughs> I'm upset that you, that I'm upset. <laughs> like you made me so mad that I'm crying. And then, then I feel really bad for reacting. And then I apologize. And then I cry some more. <laughs> and then I turn to a weepy mess. And then I have a productive conversation. <laughs> that's that's the all how Helen deals with the conflict. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah, that's a great uh, point, Helen, and an excellent segue. Um, I was going to ask too, um, what kinds of things could we expect to happen to us, whether it's emotionally or physiologically, when a really difficult or divisive issue comes up in a conversation. Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm actually reading some great reactions um, in the chat of things that people have, which really illustrate that we have a broad range of reactions. And I think it's really, really useful to understand. Um, I'm kind of a brain nerd, so I apologize, but I think it's really important to understand what is actually happening in our brain um, when we are in conflict or when we are triggered. Um, and so I kind of think of it like basically our brain is functioning as well as if you were really drunk. So now you have, if you have two people in conflict, you have two people that are really drunk. And I think we could probably all agree that that's not the best time or to, to, you know, to have a conflict. Uh, so just kind of a really, really short, what happens to your brain. Um, if you could just think for just a second of the last conflict that you had that say you were like a level seven or eight in terms of like emotional trigger. And if you just kind of ask yourself like, what was going on with my body? Like, what was I thinking? What was I feeling? Um, what was going on? Basically what happens is the second we get triggered um, and it and obviously depends on how how heavy the trigger is, right? Like if it's something that bothers you a little bit, you're gonna be way more in control if you had half a glass of wine as opposed to a bottle of wine, right? Um, and so let's say you're triggered um, at like a six or a seven. One of the first things that happen is you have like all of these stress hormones that just flood your bloodstream. So if you, even if you resolve the conflict, you wake up the next morning and you feel like emotionally hungover, part of it is because you still have um, these chemicals in your, in your body. So you have all of these, and then you have an activation of, um, your part of your nervous system, um, that is telling you fight or flight. So your body is literally reacting like you're being chased by a tiger. Your body does not know the difference. We're not that evolved, uh, unfortunately, to know the difference between being chased by a tiger and getting in a, a difficult conversation. Um, some people are saying they shake. Some people are saying they freeze. They start crying. Um, a lot of a lot of those reactions might happen. And basically, the fight or flight reaction, fight, flight, or freeze, is basically all of the things you need to deal with getting chased by a tiger. And that's your pupils dilate, your heart rate increases, your blood pressure increases. Um, you, you know, you um, your body's getting ready to either run faster or you know or hide. 
And all those things are really adaptive if you're like fighting in the war, right? But a conflict isn't. And so it takes a while for the other part of our nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system, that's like the paramedics to come in and be like, you need to chill. This is not a tiger. This is your friend or this is whatever new station. <laughs> um, that's what's happening right now, right? And so your parasympathetic nervous system takes a while to slow you down, but we get stuck in the hijacked place. Um, and when we're in that space, we start with the all or nothing thinking. We start with the us versus them thinking. Um, we have intense bouts of anger. Um, the part of our brain that we actually need to calm ourselves down is literally like turned off and deactivated. So the part of our brain, which is the frontal prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that need that has um, the ability to have empathy, organization, non-emotional decision making, um, all of those things that we really need in a conflict, problem solving, you know, de-escalation, collaboration is just completely disengaged. So you're the opposite. You're you're you know, I'm gonna quit. I want a divorce. I you know, saying things mm. that you can never take back. Um, all of those things are your aggression, your adrenaline, all those things are activated. Um, and so we really want to trick the brain to get to a place where our paramedics are more of a place where we're functioning from and that we can turn on the part of our brain that we need to get us through. Wow. Yeah. That, that was a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. I think a lot of people are, are sort of uh, reacting to that in the chat too. Um, and a lot of conversations going on in there as well. Um, but um, yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, I was just thinking, you know, while you were talking about that too, about, you know, how we do have that tendency to, you know, our brain kind of goes, you know, into fight or flight or whatever, even though we're talking to someone that's a friend or a family member or, you know, our boss at work that we really need to maintain that relationship mm -hmm. with. And, you know, lately, especially uh, for those of us in the U.S., you know, a lot of our disagreements have kind of sort of morphed into, well, it's a religious value. And now we're having this polarized political argument about it where people are really dug in. And what should we do when, when we get into these conversations and maybe we're at work or we're having a nice family dinner and all of a sudden somebody starts bringing up religion and sex and politics all mixed up into the same issue and, and we get completely hijacked in our brain. Like, what, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, one of the things that we really have to ask ourselves is like, do I want to avoid or do I want to confront? Hmm. Right, like what and what, how important is the relationship as opposed to um, how important is your agenda, right? Your agenda of saying whatever it is that you need to say. And if you're sitting with your family and you don't wanna ruin everybody's dinner and everybody's like, oh my God, you know, and everybody's got that uncle, whoever, who's like poking you, you know, we all have like the one person in our family. Um, you really want to just make a decision on whether or not you want to avoid or confront um, now, um, or maybe you want to have a, a conversation later. Um, so that's a decision that needs to be made in the workplace. You could get fired. You could, you know. So what's the appropriate space and place 
and emotional state you need to be in to have this conversation. And so those are decisions that are hard to make when you're at the heat of emotion. And so it's better, we all know that we're triggered by these conversations right now to plan ahead of time and say, okay, if so-and-so brings this up in the break room, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? What am I going to handle it? How am I going to handle it? So preparing for these conversations and what might happen is really important. Okay. So you're planning ahead while those parts of your brain are still working. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I think it's like, um, like when if you're a practice, if you practice mindfulness to know what's happening within your body, because I think when we're engaged in really difficult conversations, it can be very hard to recognize the tension that you're feeling, the anger that you're feeling, that slow creep of the threat. And if you're not in tune with it, all of a sudden you're at like a two. And then all of a sudden somebody says like one or two more things. And then suddenly you're at a 10 and recognizing how you're being triggered and the response that it's happening with your body, it can make a huge difference on how things are going to go. <laughs> that is huge. Yes. Um, and, and also someone mentioned, I'm really glad an exit strategy. We don't always have to stay in a difficult conversation. Um, if you feel like your boundaries are being violated, if you feel like you're going to, somebody might trigger you because they know you're going to lose it and then you're going to get a consequence for that or they want to make you look bad. Um, and so it's okay to set a boundary, um, decide what that boundary is going to be. And if you do need to exit, then that's absolutely okay. And that's in part of the planning and part of the avoid or confront, avoid might be avoiding the conversation and it might be avoiding the table and leaving, or it might be deciding that I'm not going home for whatever this holiday is because it's too toxic for me. And that's okay too. Mm, Excellent. Okay. So let's say you do decide to engage for whatever reason. Are there some kind of steps or general guidelines for for dealing with these kind of divisive issues if you are going to to have the conversation? Yeah, definitely. And, And these are there's a couple of like different models that you can use. I like to have like a cheat sheet, you know, or something. Um, These aren't all going to work in all situations. And one of the things I tell people is like, you're learning all these skills. Don't assume the other person knows them or has them, right? We get all excited. Like I know how to do this conversation. And then we get super disappointed. The other person's not following the same script. (laughs) We have to realize that just because we have a skill doesn't mean the other person is. And so it won't always go okay or go well, but just kind of some general things is always, and this isn't necessarily a dinner table thing, but just any difficult conversation is figure out like, what is your intention of for saying or doing what you're gonna say, right? Like we, we might have like somebody just really pissed us off and I'm like, we're gonna, I'm gonna go and tell them how I feel and whatever. You wanna ask yourself like, what is my intention? Um, because that should set your kind of what the next thing's going to happen, right? If my intention is to just let someone have it, then that's just what it is. And then you let them have it. And then you have to decide if that's okay, or if that's fits with your integrity or, you know, or whatever. But if your intention is to make things better and you want to have a productive conversation, um, that's hopefully going to make things a little better. Um, then there's a couple of things, um, that I would, uh, I would ask yourself, Um, is really try to prepare for the conversation. 
Um, and you can role play it with someone, you can talk through it, you can write it down. The more times your brain has experience of having this conversation successfully, the less anxious you're going to feel going into it. And so really try to think about like, what might my triggers be and how am I going to handle them? Like, how's, how might this person react to what I'm going to say? Um, but the hardest thing I'm going to tell you is the hardest thing to do. And especially if we're not using the right part of our brain, but I'll tell you how to trick our brain, um, is listen first. I'm going to let that soak in for a second. <laughs> and Wait, I mean, I like, wasn't listening. Really? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I mean, like really listen, like, and your brain can't be curious and furious at the same time. It doesn't work like that. So you can shortcut the furious by being curious. So one of the things that I do, because what we do is we automatically kind of like jump to like, well, that was stupid or that person's stupid or that person is a whatever or whatever. Switch that to asking yourself, like, what could it be about this person's like upbringing, life, you know, where they grew up, um, what messages they were given, where they were born, what, you know, whatever it is that can lead them to believe what they believe right now. Like just out of curiosity, right? But really truly listen and ask questions about their perspective and their opinion. Um, and when they feel heard and not until they feel heard, are they going to actually listen to you? Cause their brain is furious, right? Mm. You want them to hear you. And if you want them to hear you, you have to hear them first. So you can do that by just showing there's all kinds of things you can read on like active listening by just asking questions and not questions like, well, why do you think that? Cause that's stupid, but genuinely like, can you help me understand a little bit more about X, Y, or Z? How did this impact you? And then when they tell you, it's good to sometimes just kind of summarize. So it sounds like what you're saying is you think that people, you know, not all people get to have healthcare, only certain kind of people. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? You know, um, giving them nods, making them feel heard, thinking about how you need to feel heard and what that might look like to you, letting them feel heard, whether you agree or disagree, irrelevant at that moment, just have the conversation, let them feel heard. After they feel heard and you kind of paired it back to them what they said is um, then you can share your perspective. And one of the keys to this is you wanna try to have this conversation with as little judgment as possible in your words and what you're saying. So try to come from a place of being non-judgmental. Um, I'm getting a lot, it's hard to do when their perspective is egregious. Um, Absolutely, 100% agree. Um, and that kind of depends on, or if someone's being rude to you, on why do I need to be in this conversation? Do I need to be in it? And what's the purpose, right? You don't always have to stay in the conversation. Um, but if you have to be in the conversation, it's good to have the skills um, to be able to have these conversations if you have an agenda, if you have a reason you need to be in this conversation. Um, if it's with your boss and you have to get through, there are conversations that it's difficult to get out or back, back out of. So these are all skills and strategies, um, that are helpful, you know, in those, uh, in those situations. Um, there is also to try to shortcut and to get to the 
front part of your brain is you want to try as hard as you can to try to take their perspective by asking yourself like questions like I, I, I said about like what their upbringing, but just say, if I was that person, what might I be thinking or feeling? And if, if I'm thinking or feeling that, then what might I might need to hear right now to make this a more productive conversation? So remember, if your goal is to have a productive conversation, these are the strategies that you use. If your goal is to close the conversation, to walk away or to just be ugly or, you know, whatever, those are different pathways. There is a, um, a strategy that I'll tell you just really quick. It's a model. Um, it's called nonviolent communication. And um, the last name of the person who created this model is Rosenberg. And um, he wrote a book. Um, and basically there's four principles to this. And I encourage you to just, just try this and try it in a situation where you care about the relationship, not where somebody's being a complete, you know what to you and demeaning human lives. Like that's just not, not. But if this is somebody like you're in a relationship, you care about this, you're in a nasty conflict, try these steps. So the first step is, this is trying to be non-judgmental, um, trying to shift away from the non-judgmental and non-accusatory. Because as soon as anybody accuses us of anything, we shut down, we're done, closed, not listening, right? So if you really want them to hear what your needs are, the strategy is really useful. So you wanna first observe the situation. Um, so for example, you might say, I notice that whenever we sit down at the table with your friends, um, you bring up issues that are difficult for me to talk about, like religion. Okay, so notice that was it. I noticed that when you write, you're just stating the facts. If you were a neutral per, you know, observer stating the facts, that's the step one. The second one is identify the feelings that are coming from the situation. So every time that this happens, it makes me feel really powerless and it makes me feel scared that I'm gonna blow up and not be able to navigate this conversation. Okay, again, there's no judgment, no accusation. The third thing is identify the needs to be met. So I have to unpack that for myself and say, what is my need? And I think if that were the situation, my need would be, um, Probably my need would probably feel to, to be respected that this is not a conversation I'm, I'm wanting to have, right? Or respected, maybe my boundaries or limits because we've talked about this before, right? Mm -hmm. So then I would say, and what I'm needing from you in those moments is that you please not bring up those conversations. Uh, that's what I'm needing. So you're bringing, this is what I need, right? And then you're expressing a clear request, that's number four, um, that will make my life better, right? And so what I'm requesting is that when we all get together as a group or, you know, at the table or whatever, that we not talk about religion, mm -hmm. right? So those are four steps. Um, and I seriously like have people that I coach that put them on a note card and you can use this with a boss, with, with anybody. Um, so basically you are serving this up in a platter that it's easier for them to, to listen to. And now you're giving them a request instead of just kind of berating them with, with everything they've done wrong, right? Which they'll just shut down. I wanna just stop and does that make sense? 
Yeah, I like yeah. that a lot. I, I like how you mentioned too, again, that like the the need might be to not be having this conversation all the time. Like mm-hmm. that's that's a valid thing to want out of the interaction is for it to stop happening, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also kind of want to piggyback off of what you said. Like, um, I think also, how would you feel about like knowing the degree of the relationship you have with the person? Like if it's a close family member, that's might cause more conflict than it would with like a coworker, depending on your emotional closeness with the person and, and kind of recognizing that and how, how these strategies are going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, a lot of this is gonna be guided by the relationship and what you're comfortable sharing, right? So my boss, I might not say, you know, it makes me feel, you know, like a little girl inside, like I would probably not say that, but I would say something like, um, it makes me feel like my authority is being questioned in front of my people that report to me, right? Like, so uh, what I would, you know, what I would like to request is that when you have issues or concerns that you please bring them up, you know, on a one-on-one basis or something. So you definitely have to keep in mind what the relationship is and kind of adjust your, your message Um, to that. I see one of the questions, and this is a great, great illustration. What if in your attempt to understand the other person, they refuse to explain themselves outright yell that they already know and tell you to stop acting stupid? That tells me that that's not going to be a productive conversation, right? Because they're not, uh, they're not de-escalated. They're in their trigger space. And so what I would say to that, and you're being treated like crap in the process, that's not okay, right? So I would say something along the lines of, it sounds like you're really not in a place to engage in a productive conversation right now. Um, And so I'm going to go ahead and do blah, 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 blah. Let me know when you're ready to have a conversation where we can both feel respected. Right? So you're still kind of saying, I'm observing, (laughs) right? I'm observing that this isn't a good time to have this conversation it's not, it's not feeling productive for me. And so what I want to ask is that we're going to, we're going to do this later. And, and you're going to then take a step to take care of yourself. Sometimes they'll deescalate at that moment and say, okay, you're right. I'm not, cause they'll want to stay in the conversation. And you can just say, you know, in order to stay in the conversation, what I'm needing is for us to not be name calling and, um, and really just really trying to understand each other. And I'm just not feeling that right now. So I'm going to back away, and, but just let me know. Cause it sounds like this is an important issue to you because you keep bringing it up. So let me know when you're ready to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you, do you expect in a situation like that, um, it, would you maybe have to do that multiple times before the person quits acting in that same way? Like if it's the situation that was described where they're just like getting angry and yelling at you every time, like it, could it work even if they, you come back to the conversation later and they say, oh, okay, I, I won't yell at you this time. And then they get triggered again and they do it again. Like, mm-hmm. do you just keep, you know, saying, no, we're not going to do this now. Let's do it later. It's, it's important to have like what I call like meta conversations, like conversations about how you have conversations, mm-hmm. right? So when you're not in conflict is you talk about how are we going to handle these conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of create some guidelines that both of you agree on. And then when people aren't meeting those guidelines, you already have like a plan. So what do I do if I'm, I'm, I just lose my shit and I can't, I can't follow these rules. What's going to be the plan. And then you kind of have a plan together. Like this is the safety word, or this is the, I'm going to, and then there's an agreement, 
right? Mm -hmm. So that's optimal. Uh, and somebody says if they're like this every time, at some point, you need to decide if this is a relationship that that's good for you. Um, and that is able to is able to be in a relationship that you deserve, which is one where your dignity is honored um, and that your needs are important. Like recognizing boundaries and what I was okay and not okay in any relationship. Like, like when me and my husband have conflict and our emotions are rising to a surface that the conversation is not going to be productive and we might say things to each other that we're going to regret. It's like, I need to go have tea with this, which means I need to go sit down with my demons and deal with these feelings. And then we can have a productive conversation. So I think that's part of it too, is recognizing what your limits are mm -hmm. to have a productive conversation. And if someone's not respecting your limits, and what is okay and, and insulting you, you have to decide, is it worth getting into that co conflict with them? Because if they're not going to respect your boundaries, you know, um, that triggers it's, you. It's, yeah, yeah. It's going to be an exercise in frustration. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because then if somebody's not respecting my boundaries personally, I'm going to not feel psychologically safe. Then I can't have that conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that, yeah, very, very important point. And that also made me think about um, how important it is. Like we all blow up, right. We can follow the script. We can do everything. How important it is to repair when we do blow up in relationships that matter. And the quicker we can repair something and say, I'm sorry, and acknowledge what we've done and not, I'm sorry, but <laughs> um, I'm sorry I blew up. I, I know we had this agreement. Here's what I'm going to do to try to work on it. Mm -hmm. And um, the sooner that we can do that repair, the better it is for the relationship. And that's in all, all situations. Are you saying, I'm sorry you felt that way. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry so you much. thought I blew up at you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry you're feeling sad. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I just got triggered. <laughs> I'm sorry you misunderstood our comments. <laughs> right. I'm sorry you don't like it when I yell. Yeah. <laughs> you really yelled, you know, I'm sorry that I yelled, but you made me yell. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Unpleasant. Yeah. So a, a real apology, not not a I'm sorry you were wrong apology. Absolutely. Right. Key key difference there. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Fox apology. Oh, apologies. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna borrow that. Oh, I love apologies. It. I'm <laughs> using that now. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> you. I love it. I feel like we could have a whole episode of examples of the faux apologies. apologies. <laughs> yeah oh that's great okay so aside from avoiding the faux apologies <laughs> what are some of the steps um that we can take let's say we we get to that point you know we we figure out our our meta rules for the conversation you know here's how i'm gonna know if it's time for me to step away um where do we start at what, at what point, where are you? Remind me, like, where are we in the conversation? No, like we've decided we're going to talk. We're, we're okay. expressing our needs. We've listened. We've, we've heard the other person. And we still have a fundamental disagreement, you know, about, you know, who gets health care. Yes. Or, so how do, we, how do we work with that? We, we still don't yeah. have the same fundamental belief, but we yeah. still want to have the relationship and we still want to fix whatever the issue is. Where do we begin? 
So one thing is to um, what we call um, interest-based negotiation mm -hmm. is, is I use the word interest and needs synonymously is try to find out what's important to that other person and, and what's important to you. And then how can you find, is there common ground? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I can give you an example of a lot of times we think there is no common ground at all. And sometimes there's not, <laughs> and then you have to make decisions. But a lot of times there are things that are common ground. And I can tell you, I facilitated some very difficult um, dialogues. Um, and one was around the, um, the issue of abortion. Mm. And we all know that these are very difficult conversations because there's not a whole lot of like a middle ground, right? And so people are coming in this conversation going, what are we doing? Like, why are we talking, right? Um, and so what I did was I facilitated a dialogue where they actually had to listen. Um, and what they did, my question was, um, what is at the heart of this matter for you? Mm -hmm. And that's getting to the need or the interest, right? And so all of a the sudden they, they weren't allowed to crosstalk um, at first, they were later, but um, they would, one of them would share a story about one person said, um, you know, when I was a child or, they all gave different stories, right? From different perspectives and, and how abortion had impacted them different levels. Obviously some people were pro, some people were not. And so it was, but what's all of a sudden started happening through these stories were that all of a sudden it wasn't about the murderer and the person who's trying to take all my rights away. It was about like, oh my, these are all humans. Like all these people actually have stories that are impacting me emotionally and I haven't changed my mind, right? I'm not gonna vote differently, but now all of a sudden, Kara's a person, Helen's a person, you know, um, which is huge. And once we're all human beings, we can find something that we agree on. And so what they ended up agreeing on, which was absolutely amazing. So they all told their stories. They go through several rounds and then they're allowed to ask questions and then cross talk. They were all able to realize that no one there actually liked abortion. Like nobody was like, that's a great thing. And I think that, you know, this is just the greatest thing ever. They all agreed that wouldn't it be ideal if the need for abortion, like people not getting raped, uh, unwanted pregnancy, you know, all these, wouldn't it be great if that could be prevented? All of them decided that. They are actually, they have formed a working group. They've been working together for three years, working to find ways to prevent the need. So like some of them are doing like rape education. Some of them are like trying to advocate for like, how do we get, and they, there's some minor disagreements amongst them, but they're working kind of together on like, how do we get like plan B in um, high school vending machines in certain areas. And, you know, like all, just all kinds of things that they've been able to come up with. And so like they found common ground and they're able to use that energy to actually bring change instead of like, you know, holding traumatic pictures up and making everybody look at them and that, you know, just different, different ways to, that are actually more effective than what they were doing individually. So finding out what's important to people and what's at the root of the issue um, is really important. And so if we can shift our focus to instead of right or wrong, instead of us versus them, if we can find a we in there somewhere, right? We don't like this, or we think this, then people are much more likely to hold a space for human beings that they can work with together. 
wow that is that is really yeah. incredible like these were people that were actually on like staunchly opposite sides of this polarized debate and they were able to figure out a way to actually work together on things mm -hmm. that was meeting a, a goal that they shared that's that's kind of incredible after you know some conversations i've had with family members and things it's, <laughs> yeah. it's encouraging yeah. that that happened <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. like i like earlier like last week i was arguing with somebody some actually a friend of mine on facebook that has very different views of mine and they became a symbol to me of all the things that i'm actively fighting against and stuff like that instead of seeing them as a person i saw them as a symbol of all the frustration that i'm feeling and stuff like that and she kind of called me out on it and i was just like oh you know what yeah i've been kind of a bitch and I kind of forgot that you're a human being with feelings and opinions. And even though we don't agree on things, I actually know that you're a really decent, kind person. And you just have very different beliefs than I do. And I haven't been a good friend. And I am sorry. <laughs> you know, and, I, and she called me out and I felt terrible because I because I'm triggered by all the shit that's going on. And instead of remembering that this is a human being, she became a symbol of all the anger and frustration mm. I was feeling. And that is not healthy <laughs> to do. I'm going to tell you all right now, don't do that. Dude, the people that you're symbolize all the anger, frustration that you're feeling because their views are different than yours, they're still people. Mm. And, and to you, you represent all the anger and frustration about the, the opposite and for them. So, and remembering that is difficult, but mm -hmm. it's, it's nice to get a wake up call and be humbled. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> Absolutely. That was a very powerful example, Helen. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it's, well, this is my therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I come here once a week and I get therapy. <laughs> this is what we're here for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, the checks in the mail. It's, it's not <laughs> exactly i'm gonna so give you all that atheist money here you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's not a lot of it <laughs> but no that's so encouraging yeah i'm already like feeling encouraged just from the conversation which is great <laughs> yeah betty this is wonderful you're giving such really good advice and very practical ideas even though it's hard this is all skills that we can all adopt to be better people. So it's, it's deeply appreciated. Yeah. Thank you. This is hard. It's, it's hard stuff. Yes, it is. But so, I've seen some amazing stuff. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. That's so encouraging that, and mm -hmm. I mean, you've been, you've been in it, you've been involved in, you know, some of the most protracted, you know, polarizing, you know, traumatic conflicts, it sounds like, and there was still progress to be made. That's that that gives me hope that maybe you know my my aunts and uncles from facebook you know maybe we can have a conversation <laughs> i don't know kara but <laughs> yeah yeah you know, some of them i'm not sure you can have a conversation home. yes you definitely can have a conversation <laughs> it might not fit in the the healthy relationship to continue <laughs> category but, <laughs> but there's a chance yeah well, okay, that's good to know. <laughs> uh, so what about like, I know earlier you were talking about, you know, we, when we have these conversations, we might be experiencing these emotions and feeling triggered and, and hijacked and in our brains and things like that. Um, and so we, we plan ahead for what we're going to do. But um, do you have any tips for, you know, how to kind of 
regulate our emotions, um, you know, during the the conversation so that we're we are taking care of our our own emotional state and also you know having the productive conversation like are those things necessarily always you know in conflict can we do both at the same time take care of ourselves and have the conversation yes absolutely uh, it's hard emotional regulation's hard um, and the first thing i had said is self-awareness right so first you have to catch yourself in the moment um, and then some of these other, I'm going to kind of just rattle off a list. Um, and some of these might sound really weird, but it's basically, how do you, how do you get in this part of your brain when you're hijacked? Cause this is the one you need. Right. Um, and so there's some things that are like, um, and this is even just when you're scared, just when you're anxious, I did this on the plane when there's turbulence, um, is like count backwards from hundred by seven you will notice that the more upset or anxious you are, the harder that's going to be, then do it by two. I've had to do it by one. Okay. I can't do five. I can't do four. It just keep, keep going. Um, or, um, you know, count by twos or, you know, whatever that you're just doing it. Um, I, it, it, it honestly worked. Like it gets you to a different place. You just have to make yourself do it. Um, I, made myself read a magazine. Um, this is all airplane stuff, like every other word, just like read every other word of this magazine and it just gets your brain. Um, writing lists accesses the frontal lobe of your brain. Um, and not a list of like why I hate this person <laughs> or why I'm mad, but like a list of like someone said, I love writing lists. Awesome. Like what you need to do at work tomorrow or what you need to get for your grocery shopping or you know, whatever lists that you might uh, come up with. Um, but others are, you know, I want to ask you all, most people are pretty resilient and you all have your own strategies. Like what has helped you in the past? Sometimes it's self-talk. Um, if you can name it, you can tame it. Another colleague of mine said that. So what are you feeling? Like, I'm angry, I'm hurt, I'm resentful, I'm, you know, whatever. Um, but also what has worked for you to deescalate in the past. And sometimes it's challenging yourself. Like I, sometimes I'll tell myself like, okay, sometimes when you're in conflict, Betty, you think that it's the end of the world. Like I literally like feel like I'm going to die. If somebody, if my husband's mad at me, you know, and it's like, okay, I've felt like this before. And hundred percent of the times that we've gotten in arguments, I don't feel like that tomorrow. Right. I might still be upset, but I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. So like, what kind of mantras do you need to tell yourself? Music. Um, somebody just brought up, which I was, that was my next thing. Have a happy playlist, uh, not a, like, there are some songs that just do not make you feel good. Right. Not those. <laughs> right. Um, your, what's your happy playlist and your brain immediately will shortcut like one of mine's like Bob Marley, like the um, three little birds, you know, like what are some Mr. Jones, you know, like what, what are some of the ones that just kind of make you so put that list on gets you in a different part of your brain. It doesn't mean the conflict's going to go away, but you're not going to be like irrational and feel like it's the end of the world with that. Um, a lot of people say exercise is really helpful. Go out, take a walk, take a run. Um, I have a, <laughs> A friend, either a, every, have a, if you have a friend that helps you deescalate. So I have a, a friend that's like my frontal lobe. I have some friends that'll like egg it on and make it worse, right? But who's your friend that's going to be like, well, what was that person's perspective? You know, what, what do you think? So who is your friend that can help you get to the rational place? And I have a friend that I literally call him like, I need my frontal lobe. Are you available? 
know, help, help talk me off the sledge. And I do the same thing for her. Um, and it really helps. We're learning all kinds of words. And I kind of build a buddy. Yeah. I love it. Yes, I absolutely. I am a, I am a um, woman yellow cloud person. Like I will drive in my car on to work or from work. And if I'm mad at someone, I get out what I really want to say so I can just get it out of my system, even though I won't go to their face and be like, you're acting like a fucking asshole, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to do that. But at least like it, it gets that initial anger out. And then I'm like, okay, now let maybe I can have a constructive conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> like know? a purge. Yeah. Purge yeah, somehow. yeah a purge, like, a purge yell. <laughs> like, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. A meditation um, can be very helpful for people. There's some guided meditations, um, that are on YouTube, um, but also just, um, deep breathing because when we are anxious, we end up like breathing from our chest and not our diaphragm and it short circuits our oxygen to the brain, which is a problem because then your brain's freaking out. Then it's contributing to the whole fight or flight. So breathing diaphragmatically taking like really deep breaths and you have to take in as deep of a breath as in as deep of a breath out and so the bad stuff the carbon dioxide or whatever is what we exhale so you don't want to just be inhaling and then not getting all that stuff out and so that helps your brain to calm down a little bit as well um so you know and just ask yourself like what are things that have helped me calm down in the past for some people it's a blanket for some people it's a room in their house or in their car What's going to make you feel psychologically safe? What do you need to do to self-soothe to get in a different space, a different environment? Um, deep breathing is something you can do at the dinner table with other people there, <laughs> you know, um, or thinking back, counting backwards from 100 or whatever. The, the, there are things that you can do when you can't escape the situation. So those are just some ideas. Yeah, Name I it and then tame it name it and tame it. I love that. And <laughs> I, I definitely used your count back from a hundred by seven for, for plane turbulence. And I mean, it was weird. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to work. And by the time I got to 54, which I don't think was the correct number that I should have arrived at <laughs> according to multiples of seven, but that was where I was. <laughs> I realized I had completely forgot about being worried about the plane turbulence. I was just really trying to figure out if I'd subtracted the right number. And I mean, but I, I felt, you know, completely different. Like the, the panic part was subsiding yeah. and I was actually just thinking about math, which is really boring, which is, you know, right. What it's a different space. <laughs> yeah. A couple of folks are saying that they play video games. If that helps you. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it, think about it, it's just a different place in your brain. You have to be logical. You have to be organized. You have to be strategic. That's getting the part of your brain that you need. Yeah. That was, it, it almost seems too easy. Like it shouldn't have worked that well. <laughs> I know. <laughs> my, my brain might be particularly easy to trick. I don't know. <laughs> but it was great. Well, that's, I, I love that. I love those strategies. Those are so useful and they're things we can all do. Like you said, it, it could be at the dinner table or, or whatever. That's, that's great. I'm, I'm taking notes right now. And of course I'm <laughs> going to come back and watch this later, but <laughs> well, so we've kind of talked a little bit about, you know, having an intention for the conversation, like knowing going into it, you know, what, what we want to happen. Is there, how do you know when you're done or you've accomplished the conversation? Is, is there a good time to, to kind of decide, okay, 
we've made progress. No, when you won. Yeah. <laughs> and you just clear it. I win. Right. It's when they go, you're completely right. right. Everything I thought before was wrong and I'm an idiot, right? Right. And you get to, and then you get to pat yourself on the back and go, I am so smart. I win. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry you didn't realize that. Sooner. I know. <laughs> oh, that's a great question, Kara. And that's a question like I actually, I ask people like, how do you know you're done? Because the interesting thing is sometimes one person, the conversation is done and sometimes others, the other isn't, right? Yeah. So done can mean like I'm done, I'm setting a boundary, I'm coming back to it, right? And that's if you just feel like you are not feeling psychologically safe or you're feeling like this is not productive, right? This is actually against the goal of mine. And, and, and so that's, you know, one thing. But in terms of like, I'm done, sometimes feeling different people feel like progress looks different for some people it's like have I moved forward at all right are we not killing each other anymore are we not yelling are we not degrading people have we made some progress for me it's do people feel heard mm -hmm. even though we don't agree do people feel heard have you found any any common ground um, and are people honoring other people's dignity you know, um, have I understood something that I didn't understand before? Have I learned something about my coworker, partner, friend, Facebook friend that I haven't talked to since second grade? You know, <laughs> has there been something new, you know, that I've learned? And to me, like that would be that would be progress. So how are you measuring progress? So it's either are we making progress or are we taking a pause? Or are we deciding that this is not a conversation that needs to be had? anymore because some conversations just don't ever need to be had yeah right and we need to kind of decide what that is um with respect to setting your intentions um a friend of mine his name is larry dressler and he wrote the book standing in the fire which is an amazing book he talks about sending setting an intention as an individual for how you want to deal with all conflicts and so um, and it's something that you can use to prepare and it's something that you can check yourself on your way out. And so um, I have a friend of mine and I stole her intention. Her name is Robin Short. And so I'm giving her, this is her intention. <laughs> Hers is, and, and this certainly does not apply to all conversations. This is a relationship preserving one. And, and even with coworkers, like I wanna know that how I communicated was both true and kind. Because I think that we can be truthful and just be really nasty and hurt people's dignity. Like, let me tell you exactly how I think you look in that outfit, right? Or we can be kind, but not tell the truth. You look phenomenal in that outfit. When in reality, I know that they would not want to look that way or whatever, right? Um, and so if I prepare for a difficult, like I've had to lay people off before, right? Yeah. You can definitely do that in a way that violates people's dignity, right? So how can I be true and kind? That's how I want to be in, you know, in most conversations. And some of them, honestly, I don't care, right? Some of them, right? <laughs> Where I feel like yeah. somebody's being violated or there's an injustice or there's certain things that that's not my first goal, right? Um, and so going into the conversations, like, how do I need, how, how do I need to prepare for this so that I can walk away feeling that that's what happened? And then once I walk away from the conversation, I ask myself, was I true and kind? And if I wasn't, then what do I need to do to go back and repair? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, someone's asking what would be the best beginner book for someone wanting to learn how to handle difficult conversations. There's one that's called um, difficult. 
uh, let's see, I put it in the, it's called Difficult Conversations um, by Stone, Patton, and Heen. Um, and that's a really, a really good one um, that I would recommend. And it gives you kind of like a little formula. Another one that would be a really good beginner one is Nonviolent Communication by Rosenberg. Um, and that one was also put in. Um, Donna Hicks book on dignity. It's called Dignity, It's Essential Role in Resolving Conflict. Um, I, that's a great beginner one. Um, and if you don't wanna read her whole book, she has a TED talk that's about 15 minutes and it's amazing. Like it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, and so you could do that as well. I love it when people make TED talks of their books. It's me too. I'm a, I'm not a reader. I'm a video watcher. Like I want someone to tell me what to do. That means I don't, cause I have ADHD. I, I just can't concentrate for long periods of time. So I'm like, give me short snippets to make, make me a better person. That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. I need a little, I need some strategy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How can I play this? Great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go do it. Yeah, and remember, it takes practice. But yeah, those are some. Uh, those are some books. Yeah, find find one that like you read the back or whatever, and you're like that. That sounds great. These are books that are like should be like interesting to you because conflict is kind of it's interesting, you know, to dissect it from a from a lens of you're not in it in the moment. Mm -hmm. I, and I think that's a good place to start from when you're looking at the conflict a little bit more objectively. Like when, when you're triggered, it's not healthy because you're just like, well, this person's a butthead and you know, you can't engage in like a healthy conversation, but when you're removed from it and you can actually look at it, go, well, what is the goal? What, what relationship do I want to have with the person? Um, do they have to agree with me for us to get along? you know, and asking those questions and, and kind of dissecting it that way, then just to rely, like your emotional triggers gets triggered and like, well, if they just agreed with me, then we would get along fine, <laughs> you know, and, right. and, and kind of breaking it down that way and learning to come to even a agree to disagree, you know, place is better than, you know, just yelling at each other and, you know, and having constant conflict because who wants that? Like, I don't want constant conflict. I got enough stress in my life. Do I want to get into fights with people all the time? Fucking no. I have, don't have the energy. <laughs> I'm 45 years old. Do I want to get in constant arguments with people? No. I'd rather drink wine and hang out and have pleasant conversations with people. That's why I hang out here. Yes. <laughs> Come here you know, more. Have less conflict. Sometimes <laughs> agreeing to disagree is, is honoring people's dignity because that's right. saying you have a right to think your own thought. Like, imagine that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we don't actually have to think the exact same way and that's okay you know everybody should think the, the way that i do okay. it's not okay so it's not always okay sometimes it's a deal breaker right if yeah. it, i'm thinking like human rights issue there's some certain decisions that you might make i don't want to be in a relationship with a person who believes x y or z right but there are certain things that we're not always going to see the same way and that's okay we can like, still be friends like, if you like pineapple on pizza. I mean, well, I mean, um, let's not get carried away. Here. Well, uh -oh. <laughs> oh. 
Listen, say, you're going to open first. a whole can of worms with that car. You better, you better watch out. I've gone too far. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the violation. line was bigots, but apparently I don't even want it on your bigot is a line, but like pineapple on pizza? <laughs> Back the fuck up. <laughs> Not allowed. If you like that, there's something wrong with you fundamentally. I'm judging you. <laughs> I'm totally judging you. <laughs> I, I actually, okay, confession time. I actually do like pineapple on pizza. I'm seeing Team Pineapple in the chat, and I have to okay, confess. Like, like, I do eat pineapple on my pizza. Okay, yeah. Cara, I, I, I have to go you, now. How would you, how would you find I love the you, ground? but you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, how would you find the middle ground? I would find a middle ground by honoring Kara. I understand that this is important to you. And how about you get the, just because I don't like pineapple on my pizza, but I don't want my pizza to touch your pizza so we're gonna have separate pizzas and that's gonna be okay is it okay if i eat my pizza in the same room or or does there yes i just don't want pineapple to touch my pizza i'm I'm okay with that because i want to eat the pineapple so it's okay with me if it doesn't touch your pizza it can just touch mine you can you can eat the pizza i will silently judge you but i will not but you can eat your pizza and love it and i will still love you but i'm still gonna silently judge you Absolutely. and i, I might I leave that it. part out yeah. <laughs> okay, but, that but i'm being honest i'm honoring my my truth You're honoring yourself i'm honoring my truth yes. <laughs> oh, it's great. I love it. it's a good scenario y'all yeah <laughs> yes yeah. Leave out so the, the part about silently judging. Just accept the yeah. person. <laughs> right. Accept yeah. the person for who they are, and they like pineapple on me, so they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but you can love them. <laughs> okay, yeah. I still feel validated. That's right. <laughs> I will always validate you, Gara. Yeah, thank you. I want, I, the 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 meta the common good is I genuinely want you to be happy with your dinner and enjoy your pizza. <laughs> like that's important. Yeah. To me, yeah. Thank you. I don't want yeah. you to have crappy pizza that you don't like. So yeah. Do you want to deal with someone that they're cranky? No. <laughs> yeah, my pizza kink is not your pizza kink, but it's exactly. Okay. Like no. dumb dumb anybody's yum y'all. Yeah. <laughs> and I agree with you, someone saying just as long as what a person believes isn't forced on others. And and that is so true because if if Kara was trying to say, no, it's good, right? Yeah. Pineapple on your pizza is good. Like there's no debating, it is good, right? That's when it's like, you know, you're actually, now you're infringing on my beliefs. You're trying to force me to, and that doesn't go well, right? Then yeah. you get all kinds of things triggered. Yeah, I, I ordered a pineapple pizza for your house because I decided you, you <laughs> hadn't tried it. You didn't give it a chance yet, you need to. So I'm, I'm putting pineapple on your pizza from now on. That, that would Excellent. be for us. I will leave line, it right? here. Yeah. Waiting for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll hold it in a special place. <laughs> a special place. A, a hold round, it in the cylindrical space. kind of place with a bag in it, maybe. <laughs> and her freezer <laughs> for you to warm up later. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> I love that. We've made such progress, y'all. No, that was great. Well, okay. Let me see. Where are we? It looks like we've actually covered a lot of the topics um, that we were planning to talk about. Um, This has been great, actually. Um, 
what else have we missed? Are there, are there some more things, uh, insights, tips, or tricks you'd like to leave us with before we start wrapping up and asking questions? You know, I think the, what just kind of came to my mind when you said that is something that somebody said at the beginning about stories and sharing stories being healing. I think you used the word. Um, <clears throat> I think it was healing. Um, and you also said uh, listening with non-judgment that those were all like services that you all do or you pride yourselves in. And, and, and so I want to kind of wrap in that is the importance of listening with non-judgment um, and how hard it is to do um, and the healing and transformative power of stories, which is talking from your story because you can't, no one can disarm your story. Nobody can tell you that your story is not your story. Mm -hmm. Right. And so really trying to listen for other people's story um, and other people's experience and perspectives, but also sharing your experience as as yours, not as right or wrong. Right. It's my my story. Um, so I think those are the two kind of um, things that I wanted to kind of wrap in to highlight the importance of, of those things that I have found in my experience in, in transforming conflict. That is excellent. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. This has been so much good information. I hope y'all were taking notes. I was taking notes. Um, definitely going to watch this one again. <laughs> but, um, so it's about time to move into question and answer. But um, before we do that, um, where can people find you? What are you up to uh, lately? You know, when you're not solving people's pizza arguments or cutting your own hair. <laughs> one to solve. Uh, so I do a couple of different things. I'm kind of in different spaces. So working with individuals, one of the things that I do is um, conflict assessment and coaching. And so I help people by figuring out, um, we work together to, to do an assessment um, to figure out what your constructive and destructive, um, it's not therapy, um, uh, what your responses to conflict are. So specifically, like, what are your behaviors? How do you manage your triggers? And then we do conflict coaching around um, how to develop more constructive coping mechanisms um, and then lower your destructive ways to respond to conflict. So, um, and that's usually like a succession um, uh, um, model that I do. And then some people like stay in um, and, and do more. And then some people like to have like situation specific coaching, um, like with a boss or a, you know, whoever, you know, they're in a relationship. So that's one thing I do with individuals is conflict coaching. I also, um, from an organizational perspective, will go into organizations um, or communities. Um, and when they have an existing conflict and I go in and kind of assess the situation and then help come up with a, um, a plan or a strategy to help you know, in doing that. I do quite a bit of training and communication and conflict. Um, I do a lot of diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Um, so a lot of, a lot of different things. I do a lot of workshops and training and seminars and, uh, and coaching, um, and mediation. I mediate, um, I don't do family mediations, um, and I don't particularly do a lot of litigated mediation but I like the mediations that are like before before people have sued each other mm. type of mediation so yeah. if you're interested in any of those things um the best way to reach me is through my email which is betty at betty snyder.com all right I'll drop that in the chat so and betty. my web yeah 
Oh, no, go ahead. Go, go, go ahead. Okay. I'll, I'll ask you in a minute. <laughs> and then my website is bettysnyder.com. And it's not completely updated. So email is probably best. <laughs> um, you need to shove the bunnies. Yeah. That's oh. the most important part. <laughs> <laughs> Let me yeah, grab I, one. My <laughs> office mates are my consultants over here. I have two bunnies down here. I'll grab one. One of them is not, uh, she's not real hip on coming out. So let me get the other. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, you're going to laugh, and he's got a bad haircut. <laughs> How did that sick. happen? Uh, he got oh. sick and he was eating his fur. And so I cut, he has fur that hangs over his face, just his face, oh. but the rest of his body. Kind of a mullet, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I wonder who did that. <laughs> but this is little spy. This is his first podcast appearance. Is he like honestly the cutest thing you've ever seen? He's the cutest little baby. Look at What's his, his name? nose. What's his name? Spike, spike because he ha- usually oh, before I cut his spike. hair has a big a big spike on his so so cute oh that is too much okay so he needs to be here with us for the q a which we have time for a few questions (laughs) yes i like the gremlin because that's honestly what his hair looks like before i just cut it off he just has this big spike sticking up oh goodness and his partner her name is miss bixby and they call down here I love it so much. I know they're okay. so sweet. They're See, my happiness. Yes, I think they're they're what we need to emotionally regulate and and solve conflicts. Just send Just send bunnies. the bunnies. Yeah, <laughs> definitely how I emotionally regulate. Yeah, I'm like that was my kitties. I have a bad day and I get snuggles and lap time and I'm like I love you so much and thank you for giving me stress relief and I love you so much. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so while we're enjoying Spike being here, we do have a few questions um, from the audience. We answered a lot of them as we went along, which was awesome. Yes, I know um, I missed some. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's perfect. That's that's why we save them up. So we've got a few questions in here. We'll get through a few before we move on to our, our wrap up and hang out. Uh, you know, the first one someone asked is, uh, what documentaries uh, have you been featured in or been a part of? gonna laugh because I can't remember the name of one of them I'm struggling um okay so one of them I know for sure (laughs) um I wrote a book um with uh Nanan Williams um about um it's about solitary confinement and death row in Texas Mm -hmm. prisons not a real cheerful topic um but we did a uh also did a documentary um and that's actually free online and it's called if you um Kara if you google the darkest hour documentary good media press okay. you'll be able to see the link on Vin- vimeo let me get it i would do it but i got a bunny yeah that's <laughs> more that important. one the <laughs> other one was about um diversity in schools it was a school that um that created it actually won an award and i'm totally blanking out on the name of it but i can get it for yeah wait all. tell me the darkest hour so the darkest hour just type in the darkest hour documentary good media press good all media in one line yeah okay. and then you should be able to see it come up okay. i'm gonna put that in the chat oh yeah there it is Perfect. yes it was it's major shit show yes right. it's um not it, it's very heavy topic for sure 
Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Excellent. Okay. Ooh, we're getting a few more questions. Let me write yeah. those down too. Yeah. Um, so I have a, another question. Um, do you think there's hope that we can start having more, like more productive conversations around devices issues in society as a general? <laughs> and uh, what can we do as individuals to actually facilitate like really healthy conversations around like these devices issues that we're having? So I'm not going to lie. Some days I have hope. Some days I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have more hope than I don't. Um, and the hope that I see is from seeing a lot of people want to change the conversation and committing to being a part of changing the conversation. Um, and, and that's by learning the skills and how to have the conversation and learning to approach these conversations in a different way. Um, and so I encourage people to be, um, sometimes I call like interrupters, like how do we interrupt conversations? Some conversations need to be interrupted. Um, like for me, if I'll like see like sexism, racism, homophobia, all, you know, all those things. Sometimes we just hear these conversations, we don't say anything. It's like, what can I say that's actually gonna help change the conversation? So transform the conversation doesn't necessarily mean end it, but how do we ask questions? Like um, I can give you an example um, in my Facebook feed and I have, people that will post something that I'm just like, oh my gosh, I just want to go in and just be awful and ugly. And, but I'm watching all of my Facebook friends be awful and ugly to each other, like adults, you know? And so I'll go in there and I'll say, gosh, isn't it really sad that in eighth grade, we all had conversations and we respected each other and honored each other's dignity. And it was just like mic drop. And then people just start talking differently after that. Or, and one time I said, gosh, I wonder if our kids saw this conversation, would they be proud of us for how we deal with conflict? Um, just like asking like curious questions um, that are like, they're non-judgmental, but they're, they're um, kind of pointing out like what's going on. Or, you know, I'm wondering if, you know, are we making progress by, name calling, I'd really like to change the way that we're talking about this to actually make progress. We're all smart people here in this room. How can we actually do something? Um, so how can we be conscious about our own actions and our own words? And am I being contributing to the division or am I contributing to the unity of this situation? Right? <clears throat> So yeah, I have hope, but we have to do things differently. We're not good at talking about things that are uncomfortable. Um, we're not just born with that and we need to learn and we need to be courageous. And I believe everybody here can be courageous. <clears throat> yeah, politicians are not good role models, most of them. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I, like I, I believe in getting all my advice from old men not living in <laughs> not living in the 21st century <laughs> that's oh. scary <laughs> so speaking of which we we now have a, a question in the chat currently have you ever thought about getting into politics no 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 but i have i have mediated um public policy disputes and have worked with politicians in both coaching capacities and and mediation capacities and 
Um, I've also been a part of training lots of um, politicians in, um, in dialogue and interest-based negotiation and working with constituencies and, and things like that, so. Wow. Yes. So do you find that to be very different if you're dealing with like a, a political uh, client? Um, is, is that a, a very different framework than if you're dealing with, you know, say a regular person dealing? You know, with what's so interesting, what I have found is that like the underlying issues with conflict are the same, whether it's a couple fighting or a genocide, like the underlying needs, it's it's, you know, you're trying to take my rights away. You're trying to take my power away. Um, mm -hmm. People being triggered, you know, ego involved, needing to be right and wrong. I mean, it, it divides relationships and it brings war, you know? So if we can get to the common needs and the common interests, um, if we can find common needs and common interests, and if we can um, communicate in ways that bring progress, I, I see the same dynamics regardless of what, um, now the groups are bigger, right? With politicians and the group, you know, you have bigger constituencies. You have a lot more people to please and a lot more mm -hmm. dynamics involved, but a lot of the core issues are the same. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense at all. Well, I, I, it makes perfect sense because we're all human at the core. Yeah. And all of us want to feel safe and all of us want to feel that we're heard and we're validated and stuff like that. It's just that these people tend to have more power and there's, and to them, there's more at stake and stuff. So, and Absolutely. like, if I'm right, then I'm safe. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. and even sometimes they know, I, I spoke with a pediatrician, a pediatrician, a politician when I was <laughs> writing the book of solitary confinement and, and it was, a, it's a human rights perspective. So obviously I'm, I'm arguing that it's damaging and not a good thing for public health. And when I talked to some of the politicians who were drafting legislation around it, they said, yeah, we know it's bad. We know it's harmful, but if we say that we're not going to do it, or that we're going to improve the lives of the prisoners and people are going to think I'm soft on crime, I wouldn't get votes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, there's fear, you know, what are people's interests and in, in how fear is dictating and creating legislation. So, man. Yeah. So there's more, a lot of issues involved. <laughs> yeah. A lot at stake. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, so, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you go on. I don't care. Nope. Nope, <laughs> okay. You're so, so, um, flipping it on not from politics but to religion um yeah. how would you respond to a religionist who says god says as to why what they say is right so they refer to god as a to justify what what they're saying is right i um i i have a smile on my face because it reminds me of a mediation that i did um and it was about the mediation was um I'm um, trying to say this in a way that it, it, it basically was about whether or not um, strip clubs should be in a certain area. And one of the, the women who didn't, she didn't want it in her area. At the very end of the mediation, we had agreed on, on everything like the, basically, you know, there was concerns about safety or noise or, you know, the sign or whatever. So we had like two full days mediation with lots of stakeholders and we reached a you know, complete agreement that was gonna meet all the interests. And at the end of the mediation, she said, I'm not gonna sign this because God's not gonna let this happen because God said it's wrong. And it was like, okay. Um, so the, 
one of the things kind of flip it around, you know, it's like, that's really interesting because if that's the argument, well, God let the strip club be over in the other area. Like, why is it this, you know, um, that's why I'm giggling. Cause I was like totally perplexed by that. There are going to be people that always have a, it's called moral authority. It's a type of power. Um, if you read about like power, people will have that as a type of power um, that they'll say, well, it's because of this. Um, and it's hard to argue with God, right? With someone's perception of God. And so that to me comes back to how are you going to kind of prepare for that type of argument and that type of response? Because you're not going to change their mind if that is their authority. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like, yes. how do you, you know, and I think different people would handle it differently. You know, some people will try to handle it intelligently and try to like kind of poke holes in their argument. And that's not going to, usually they're not going to change. Right. Um, they're not going to poking a hole. Sorry, I'm having it. <laughs> um, so that, I mean, that can just be really d difficult. I mean, I'd love to know, you know, how other people deal with that conflict. I mean, sometimes when somebody has said that to me, I'll just say, you know, something along the lines of, you know, it sounds like you're really, you're really certain on your position and you're telling me you don't want to continue this conversation about looking at, you know, any, any other alternative thoughts, beliefs, or explanations, you know, because you might even, you know, you'll start pulling in a different argument and say, well, that's not how Jesus felt around the, you know, they're going to just disregard that and then just pull this fact. And then um, you'll get pulled bias. into a religious debate rabbit exactly. hole instead of what the original topic you were right. even fucking talking about because yeah. <laughs> right. that's what happens because it's happened to me yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah yeah and the, i mean the other thing sometimes is asking a question like um you know so that's that's interesting it sounds like you feel you know really solid around that belief and i'm wondering within your belief system how do you how, what does compassion look like right what does love look like mm -hmm. what does you know but you might get down that same rabbit trail. Mm -hmm. yeah. You have to kind of assess mm -hmm. with the person. Those are often futile, futile discussions. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what does empathy look like, right? Yeah. I call it, I'm trying to nail jello to a tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't have a good, a good, you know, you know, comeback, you know, other than to find a common interest, you know, how, so how do you feel people should be, you know, I don't know. I have to be in the, in the situation. And sometimes, you know, that the people are talking, you're talking to might be like this open, like what's, what's that opening, but it's not your responsibility necessarily to change. Sometimes we got to walk away. Yeah. Well, and on that note, speaking of, <laughs> of ending the conversation, <laughs> this has been fantastic and amazing, and I love it. Thank you so much for Thank sharing. Thank you for having me. Hey! Can I say one last, really, really last thing? I want to. This is yes. such. There was a question about trauma. Oh yeah. And I and yes. I want to. I want to address address that. Um, somebody. I, I don't remember what the specific question was, but was about trauma. Um, and there was a couple about trauma, conflict people who have experienced trauma are gonna have a hard time with the barometer of, is this appropriate, is this not appropriate conflict reaction on behalf of someone, right? If someone's yelling, you might have a hard time. 
delineating what's abuse versus what's just a normal trigger that somebody had, right? Um, and so I would I definitely encourage you to, I'm sorry, go ahead, Helen. I have a book. Yeah. You what? I have a book to recommend if I can pull it up. Go yes, ahead, keep talking, do. keep talking. Oh, I, want, I wanted to say that, um, and that, that can be really scary and really confusing place to be. And so I really would encourage you to talk to a therapist about that that specializes in trauma. Um, secular therapy project, seculartherapy.org. Um, yes. and really try to make sure I don't want, I didn't want to ignore such an important topic. It's definitely something to get to, to, um, dig into a little bit deeper. You deserve it. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. We definitely want to refer people, uh, that way if that is, is what they need. Yeah. Oh, and thanks. I see the link from, Ooh, I'm going to get that. Yeah, it's oh, a great like book um, oh, about understanding you. the difference between trauma and conflict Ooh. and how to recognize your own triggers and how to take um, responsibility for what you own and what other people you take responsibility for. Yeah. And ha it's a really, really good book and it helped me deal with my own trauma and dealing with abuse and conflict. So, and Thank understanding the that. difference. So yeah, it's a very, very good book. I just bought it. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> It's a great book. Great. I highly recommend it. Well, thank you both for that. And um, thank you everybody else for joining us. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, healing, and support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering From Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering From Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.